amazing. It's great that ladies had a great meeting yesterday. That's what we want. We don't, we don't invest in, in bad meetings. We invest in power meetings, right? Meetings that are filled with God and God's grace, God's anointing, God's spirit. Um, interesting that whilst ladies were meeting, I, had, I was telling Zamo uh, in the afternoon yesterday that um, uh, we took a drive for coffee. You know, we take drives for coffee. <laughs> you know, that's the way. so yesterday, we, we, we you know, had a, a drive to the coffee and I was telling her, actually, you know, in the morning, I, I, I felt the favor of the Lord. I was thinking about a whole bunch of things. We're meeting with the Kingdom Humanity Fellowship Visionary Team on Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Um, I felt the favor of the Lord. Um, and, and it wasn't necessarily that, you know, anything had changed materially. But I felt like, I think something is breaking out. Yeah, do you feel that? Because we, we are a people of spirit. Uh, the spirit of God testifies in our hearts um, and we, we are in tune with the testimony of the Spirit of God. And I, I felt that. I felt like, you know, God is breaking out. Of course, some significant things have happened, I think, in this first quarter of 2023. Um, uh, 2023 is different from 2022 in, in many respects. You know, the first quarter, uh, we've seen God really some great advances from God. Uh, and some great reports that have come through. I think some many more reports we need to hear, actually. Uh, I know the Hadebes went and were invited to speak to couples. Uh, when was it? Last Tuesday, right? It was, yeah. So, and, and that excites me. Uh, because actually that's what we've, we've always dreamt of. People venturing out and doing things, but being normal people. We don't have to be crazy to, to, to do these things. We don't have to make noise to do them. We, we're normal people, normal believers. We can go and, and the Hadebes can go and uh, they, couldn't, they can't be with us today because of uh, some family commitments. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they went on Tuesday and, and did, did some exploits, uh, speaking to couples. Uh, and I wasn't there. Zamo wasn't there. That's what we want. Right? It's like when Jesus builds, he says, you know, it's good for you that I leave because the Spirit of God will arrive and you can do greater works, yeah? That's the, that's the principle of church building, that we can produce believers who can do greater works. That's what we want out of this, out of this church, out of this building, people who are here who can go out and do some great, great works for God, uh, but who can, can then come back and, and be normal people. That's what I do, eh? <laughs> I come back and be normal. I don't come back and be crazy and be lofty and, and oh, it's all missional and you can't touch me, can't talk to me, you know. <laughs> no, no funny business. Look at your neighbor and say, no funny business, please. We don't want these things, you know. We just want to be, you know, us. You know, it's okay. Lonely can fly to, to Rwanda and come back with some Amazing gifts of coffee. That's what we want. That's what we want. <laughs> that's what we want. You know? and, and, and that's how it was in the early church, right? Uh, Paul and Barnabas sent out, come back. They would come back to Antioch and report what God was doing through them. And they stayed with the believers. There was no funny business, no funny attitude. I think it's we're way too deep in the game to be funny. Right? 
And, and, and God has to trust us. He's got to trust us with, you know, he's got to trust us that we can touch things. We are not going to be funny. You know, God, you know, one of the names of God is jealous. He is, in fact, jealous, you know, for the things that belong to him and is very much cautious to whom he gives those things. Um, that when God entrusts us with stuff, he has to know that, you know, Robert is not going to go crazy. And, and because of that, regions can open up and it's not a big issue. It's a big issue as far as the kingdom of God is advancing, but it's not a big issue in terms of, hey, we, we're normal people. And uh, we, aim, we aim to remain normal. Yeah? We aim to remain normal. That's our aim. Because I think that's where life happens. It's, it's, it's better that way I find. Uh, I think finding business is complicated. I think it's better when you're smiling and when, you know, you have seen grumpy people. You know, they, you know, it becomes complicated. You get sick as well and it gets complicated. Grumpiness is not good. You know, we want to, we want, we want to be smiling and happy and doing the things of God. And, and so I'm excited about, about what God is doing and about, I think some of the reports, we need to hear some more of these reports as people um, go out to do some exploits God and venturing out of our comfort zones and dear Vanessa says, I'm venturing out of my comfort zone into temples. <laughs> temples, like Daniel, you know, like Daniel, sitting with the magicians, dancing with the magicians. You know, that's how it is got to be. You know, imagine, imagine Moses throwing the snake and, and the magicians throw, throw the snakes too. It's like, what do you do at that point? Do you run away? Yeah? So <laughs> but you trust that God can cause your snake to eat other snakes, yeah? And give you conquest and victory in the midst of stuff. And, and so I think that's, that, that excites me. I think that's a beautiful thing. We certainly, and we're on this thing. We've been activating ourselves and God has been activating us in the mission of God. And so, so what I was feeling yesterday, there was a sense of favor. Um, and I was also feeling like, you know, uh, God has taken us on a journey because I think partly he does want us to remain focused. He doesn't want us to circle clearly. You know, there's something about settling in life. Yeah, you become 40-something, you settle. And uh, we can have, we can approach ministry li like that as well. Uh, you build to a point, you know, we want to settle. And things are autopiloted, you know, on autopilot. And, uh, you know, you don't, I, I think God has kept this church on our toes and on the edge, prophetic edge. And, uh, you know, God has, God ways of doing that. You know, what kind of ways? God ways to keep us on the edge, to keep us on our feet, to keep us sharp and listening and crying, oh God, if you don't show up now, I'm done. You know, those kind of, have you prayed that kind of prayer? <laughs> have you prayed that kind of prayer? Oh God, if you don't show up right now, that's me, I'm done. God, please show up. <laughs> These are the kind of prayers that you pray and God shows up, he releases his spirit and his anointing. And that's, that's you're on the edge, you're pressing, you, you, you're sharp, you're sensitive, you're hearing. Um, and that's how I was feeling the favor yesterday. And I was feeling like, God, I think you've kept us on the edge with all that's gone down. I think, I think, I think um, you know, God knows how to use evil for his good, right? Um, I think, I think, I, think I, I had this tremendous sense that God has kept us sharp. God has kept us, kept our ears hearing. Um, uh, kept us worshiping and believing and praying and into the word of God uh, because 
he is pushing this church towards his mission. Otherwise, if you settle, you're 40-something, you know, you know, things look like, ah, you know, you don't have to be there for things to work. You settle it down in your spirit. And, and uh, we, are, we have a legacy of nomads like Abraham, Isaac. People were on the move all the time. I mean, if you're with this guy, and Lot eventually says, I can't. <laughs> My uncle is always moving, man. I want to settle down. And so uh, along the way, you lose people, right? People, people want to settle down. And so, Lord, I, I don't, my, my uncle always on the move. He wakes up and, if you're married to that guy, you're in trouble, man. He wakes up and says, we're moving now. We're moving now. And, and says they, they lived in tents. You know, they refused to settle down. It, it's challenging to the flesh, right? Um, but, but that's the way of God, and it keeps us in this migration, keep us moving in the things of God, that we, we are not settling down along the way. We, 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 we're pressing until we appear like this. It says in the book of Psalms, until we appear before God in Mount Zion, glorified, perfected. And so I was feeling the sense of favor. I was feeling like, God, you've kept us on the edge. But I was also feeling yesterday, I was feeling a responsibility, a burden from the Lord to equip this church on what it means to be a missional church. And I felt that, you know, sit with, with weight inside of my heart. And we began looking at that last Sunday. What does it mean to be a missional church? And you'll do well to listen to those audios and internalize the truth and let the truth, you know, um, just simmer within your own heart. And, and I want to continue on that and look into some stuff today just concerning what does it mean to be a, a missional church. And so, I'm really speaking from a place of really sent by God to you uh, to equip you in these matters because I think this is going to be critical. How we, we move with God and how we're used by God to touch the things of God uh, is going to require that this church is properly and adequately prepared. Amen? Properly and adequately prepared. And it's the duty of leaders to prepare you for what God is, is, is doing. I feel like something is breaking out, something is moving in the spirit and God needs this church this church living stones agency prepared adequately in the mission of the Lord and so that's a burden I feel inside of my heart that's what I was feeling God staring yesterday morning um, whilst ladies were, were meeting I think there's a connection there the power that was going on and what God was doing inside of my own heart, I think there's a connection there. <laughs> I think, so, so, and I want us to feel that burden from the Lord. How do we prepare this church? Uh, how do we build this house? Uh, and, and make you and make all of us adequately prepared. How prepared? Adequately prepared for the mission of the Lord. And let's start this off again from the definition that um, I gave you last Sunday of what is a missional church. Um, a missional church, a community of believers living under spiritual leadership. A community of believers living under spiritual leadership with a common life in Christ and a common mission in the kingdom of God. A common life in Christ and a common mission in the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, a community of believers living under spiritual leadership. That's important. Um, uh, 
That's what constitutes a church. That's the people living under spiritual leadership um, with a common life in Christ. Common life in Christ. That's important. Common life in Christ. Um, we're not just doing our own things, but common life in Christ and a common mission in the kingdom of God. And we said last Sunday, the word mission actually relates to the word apostolic. Apostles are sent one. We have apostles, and then we have apostolic people. Um, you know, we don't only just have apostles, we have apostolic people. Church is an apostolic community. Uh, and apostolic meaning to withdraw from, to set apart, and to send out. Uh, it means a sent one, to send forth on a certain mission. That's what it means. So when we talk about an apostolic people, we talk about a people who are on a mission. Um, and the people who are on a mission are very, you know, specific. They're very intentional. They're not just grabbing everything. They look, they, are, they know what God has sent them for. And they are looking for that specific thing. Like the Magi, the wise men who came from the east. They were looking for baby Jesus. They had a specific mission. There was no seduction from a Herod that would distract them on their journey, on their mission, to look for the baby, to find the baby, and to worship the baby. So apostolic people can't be distracted along the way. Yeah? Because there are people on a mission. There are people sent by God with a specific assignment. There will be many things along the way. Jesus would send his disciples and say, don't greet anybody along the way. I think the idea was to help them to remain focused on the mission. The idea was not to be rude. It was to help them remain focused on the mission. So the word apostolic defines he who has been withdrawn from something, set apart, and sent out into a particular mission in the things of God. That's what it means to be missional. And actually, last Sunday, we landed last Sunday by this scripture in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This is Paul introducing himself, but I want us to see ourselves inside of this introduction by Paul to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul, a born servant. Um, and that born servant means a willing and a permanent slave. Uh, there was a whole process of slavery back in those days. Yet as slaves by force and slave by, by consent. And, um, you know, I think it was a, the period would, would be seven years that um, you were a slave to somebody and you were then given the permission to be set free, to be liberated. At that point in time, a slave, if he's had a, a good time with his master, would say, actually, I prefer to live with you. And that slave actually would adopt almost like a status of a son within the estate of his master. And that's us. We are slaves by consent. We have willingly given ourselves to Jesus. We are called, that means we are invited and appointed to be apostles or to be an apostolic people. Those who are sent out by God and we are separated. That means to draw a boundary line around somebody. Uh, it's the same word that is used in Acts chapter 13 when God says, separate from me Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul. Draw a boundary line. Distinguish them for the mission that I'm about to send them into. 
So we are separated. There's a, a boundary. We have divine limitation. That simply means we can't do anything we like to do. We can only do that which God has called us to do. The calling separates you and I into a particular mission in God. We're separated for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we said last Sunday, we're called to a, a common life in Christ. And so we have, the word is fellowship, Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And we see that in chapters 2 and chapter 4, in the book of Acts, they had things in common. Fellowship, that's the word fellowship. We're called to a common life. That means we share ways of life in Christ Jesus. That means we're learning from one another. We're sharing ways of life. We're not just falling into our own uh, set of ways, but we share ways in the Lord Jesus, called to a common life in Christ, but also called to a common mission in the kingdom. Uh, so Paul celebrates the Philippian church in Philippians 1 verse 5. You are walking in partnership with me, he says. The word partnership, the same word koinonia, fellowship. You're walking in fellowship with me in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so that's the kind of church that God is building. And it's the kind of churches that God is building. That's what we want. And, and, so, and so we are grappling with becoming a missional church. And there's a burden, I feel, for, for us to be equipped in this matter and to be adequately prepared in this matter because actually something is breaking out in the purposes of God. So let's talk a little bit more about becoming a missional church. And I want to focus today on our attitude to the body of Christ. Our attitude to the body of Christ. We've had some amazing stories uh, in the last couple of weeks about engagements with the body of Jesus Christ, with churches. Uh, we've had Dubai and, and that other things that are breaking out, um, actually, as we speak. And, and so, and so uh, we've had the Adebas go and speak to the couples. There are these things that God is facilitating at this point in time around, around his body, around his church. And if God is doing that, it becomes important for these people of LSA to be adequately equipped around what is the right attitude towards the body of Jesus Christ. The body of Jesus Christ. The right attitude. What is the biblical attitude towards the body of Jesus? And like I've alluded, that there is a calling upon this church to serve the body. Uh, we have received prophecies in the past about this, but actually we are now stepping into it. We are now stepping into it, and we are seeing God break out in all sorts of ways. And there is a call to serve the body. There is a call to adorn the body of Jesus Christ, to serve the bride of the Lord Jesus. And if that's the case, then we need to be adequately prepared in terms of what is the right attitude in the process. Because we don't want to mess up the mission of God. How many of us know that? We don't want to mess up the mission of God. So let's talk about our attitude. What is the official attitude of LSA towards the body of Jesus? And to start us off, I'm going to start us off with a principle in Matthew chapter 7. Um, 
And the principle being that our attitude towards the body of Christ must be consistent with the attitude towards ourselves and towards this church. There has to be consistency between how we see ourselves in the Lord and how we see the wider church of Jesus Christ. That's important. Consistency. Let's say consistency. And the thing we don't want is to be hard on the body and easy on ourselves. And that's important, that we put the, whatever we proclaim out there is the same demand that we put upon us. We don't exempt ourselves of the things that God is putting as requirements upon his church at this point in time. Jesus addresses this, this issue in Matthew 7, verses 1 um, uh, to 5. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust, sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the blank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a blank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the blank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We get the scripture? So Jesus is not addressing the issue that we are not to judge, but rather he's addressing the issue of the correct process in exercising judgment. Okay, let's clarify that because the scripture qualifies itself when you read the whole thing from verses 1 to 5. He does begin by, do not judge or you too will be judged. And if we stop there, we can get the wrong idea. He is not saying we are not to judge. What he's saying is he's giving us a correct procedure of how to exercise judgment in the Lord. And what is that correct procedure? First, take the blank out of your own eye. So the sequence is to deal with yourself and in the process of dealing with yourself, you actually become beneficial to those to whom you are ministering because then you see clearly to help others. If you have not dealt with yourself, the implication is that you're going to be blinded from seeing or helping others. So a person that does not apply the same standard that they're using to proclaim the word of the Lord is not very helpful in the body of Jesus Christ. Or a church such as LSA that does not put a standard upon itself before it proclaims the word of the Lord out there is not very helpful to the body of Jesus Christ. Everybody got the idea? That's the fundamental principle. And the issue here is the issue of attitude that we want to confront. Let's say the word attitude. Attitude is important because it makes or breaks things. And I want us to be walking in correctness of attitude. Let me list for us, LSA. Think about eight things, and I'm going to send you this slide um, of things that are going to, you know, I'm going to be speaking around this teach, this teach, about this teaching. I'm going to touch on these things in some shape and form. Things that define our attitude towards the body of Jesus. Number one, the body of Christ is the bride of Jesus. 
What is the body? The bride of Jesus redeemed through the cross. The body of Jesus is the bride. This is someone's bride. You know. And you know when you interact with a couple and you know you see people, these people are married, that calibrates you how you interact with someone's wife, right? Uh, the body of Jesus or the body of Christ is the bride of Jesus. Redeemed through the cross. When Paul is talking to the Elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 tells them this body was purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says, you better do a great job building her. Yeah? And so our attitude first and foremost should be that to understand or the understanding that the body of Christ is the bride of Jesus. That should calibrate you and I. That should condition our attitude. She is the bride of Jesus. That's the first issue. And we're going to send this slide out. The second issue that we have to note in our attitude is that the body of Christ is people. But people are shaped by their ministry associations, spaces of discipleship, or church organizations. But actually, when we talk about the body of Christ, we're not talking about organizations like Living Stones Agency or networks, or, uh, you know, we're talking about people, right? The, book, the word of God in the book of Timothy says, the Lord God knows those who are his. He knows exactly, he can quantify his body. Amongst many things that are happening in the church, God knows those who are his. So the body of Christ is people. It's not organizations. Ultimately, what God will redeem is not organizations and entities and ministries, what God will redeem is people. Do you understand this? One day what will be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ is not Living Stones Agency. It's going to be Vanessa and Kiara and Courtney. Hopefully, Living Stones Agency as a ministry would have done a great job equipping them, yeah, for that ultimate day. But what will be standing before the Lord are not entities. What will be standing before the Lord are people. Yeah? So the body of Jesus Christ is what? It's people. But it is helpful to understand that people are shaped by their ministry associations, spaces of discipleship, and church organizations. Um, I, I think I went to Solomon Islands. I think the very first trip I went to Solomon Islands. And I was preaching to, must have been good, maybe 300 people in the room. And I think for the first time, I felt this liberation that I didn't have to necessarily concern myself with, well, what church organizations people came from. I was speaking to the body of Jesus. But in saying that, it is very, very wise and helpful to under always understand where people are coming from. Because you can understand how people think by understanding where they come from. So I'm not discounting the need to understand the types of organizations or movements or networks people come from, but it is important to understand the body of Christ is what? People. That's number two. Number three, church has common faith in the present truth of the person of Christ. Uh, I'm not going to elaborate on this now. We're going to talk about this a little, a little later. Church has common faith. The Bible does say in Ephesians 4, we have, we have, we have one baptism. One Lord, right? Uh-huh. 
Sometimes when you look at church, it doesn't look like we have one Lord, like Shago, God, Jesus. Do we have one Lord? But actually, the Bible says so, right? One Lord, one baptism, one faith in Ephesians chapter 4. So church has common faith in the present truth of the person of Christ. We're going to uh, just flag that in your mind. We're going to talk about it because I think that's going to be important. Number four, Christ is building all believers. How many believers? All believers unto perfection in his nature. And so when we measure the church of Jesus, we measure human growth and not organizational growth. That's important. Because church, again, keeps making the mistake of measuring. We're growing because the organization is growing. But oftentimes it happens that in the midst of a growing organization are very, very immature believers. And the, what the mistake that believers make is that we, 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 we quantify or we establish maturity by association to an organization. So I'm maturing, I'm matured because I'm part of LSA. So by association to an organization, we declare ourselves matured. But actually, God, how many of us know God is looking not at the growing entities, is looking at the growing people, the growth of people. Now, it was the, 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 the principle of the, of the Old Testament that you, you were measuring just the tabernacle, right? In, in the New Covenant, actually, you're measuring actual growth of people in the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, by association, if you were Jew, you were powerful because you are associated to the tabernacle, to the covenants, to the law, to Moses. So you associated yourself, you declared yourself powerful by association. It was almost like by default, and that is a big mistake that the church of Jesus can make, and churches and networks make. And Jesus actually confronts this. And, uh, and, you know, you know, and, and John the Baptist you know, don't, do not say that we are children of Abraham. So in other words, he's saying, don't, don't measure, don't establish your maturity by association. Look at your actual growth. God is writing the laws in your hearts. And so you are growing, ultimately. You can't say, well, I'm powerful because I'm part of living stones. No, I'm powerful because I'm growing as a believer. And hopefully, Living Stones is helping you to grow. It's creating an environment. We get the principle? So Christ is building all believers unto perfection. That's number four. Number five, church is a dynamic, evolutionary, and progressive spiritual community. That basically means church is a community in a constant process of change. Dynamic describes that which keeps changing. Evolutionary describes that which keeps changing in form. We are growing from glory to glory as we behold him, right? We are, we are going through metamorphosis. So that speaks into the idea of evolution. And then we're progressively being built by God as he lays precept upon precept, stone upon stone. The building is growing up. That's what the scriptures say in the book of Ephesians. The building is growing up. Is going, is, 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 we are erecting the structure for God. So church is a dynamic, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. 
Because I think that's important. So church is not static. You cannot declare church in a fixed you know, idea based on what you see in 2023. Because church is constantly cha- changing. And there are elements that we're going to talk about what, what causes that, what causes the change. Number f- uh, that's the was number five. Number six, church is the agency of the kingdom of God here on earth, right? We, 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 you know, the kingdom of God, we, we, Jesus has given us the keys of the kingdom. And so Jesus positions Londi in Umlazi and he gives her the keys of the kingdom. And, and she has grace to unlock certain things and deal with young people. And, and there's the keys of the kingdom of God that we, we carry as individuals and, uh, and, and, and as a collective. We are the agency of the kingdom. And that's the inspiration behind Living Stone's agency. We, we are God's delivery mechanism. He is depending on us to establish a bunch of things here on earth or in a given territory. Church is the agency of the kingdom of God. That's number six. Number seven, we proclaim the truth of God to the church from a place of personal transformation and of mutual identification. When we proclaim the truth of God to the church, we proclaim from a place of personal transformations. I'm, I'm, I beat myself so that I don't lose the prize. I don't proclaim from a, a lofty place and from a place that is filled with pride. Personal transformation and mutual identification, that basically means we are one with the body of Jesus. And as we proclaim, we see ourselves in the body just as Jesus sees himself in her. That's number seven. Number eight, we desire to see the body of Christ in her glorious and mature state in Christ. Amen. We love the body, but we, we don't love the body in her current state. Just like you love yourself, but you don't love yourself in your current state. There has to be growth, right? And so wherever we go, we put challenge upon the church to grow. There has to be growth because that's what the scriptures say. It talks about a glorious bride without spots, wrinkles, and blemishes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. And so we desire to see the body of Christ in her glorious and mature state in Christ. And, and these are almost like policy positions, like attitudinal positions that I want us to, to be praying into, to be thinking about, to, to internalize and let them condition. And so I'm going to be speaking and I'm going to be touching basically on, these, on different things here. But we, and we're going to get this slide. You don't have to worry about it. We're going to get this slide. <clears throat> Our attitude to the body of Christ. So we're saying that part of the statements that we made is that the body of Christ is the people, right? Not entities. And um, so in other words, the body of Christ cannot, essentially cannot be defined along the lines of church organizations, denominations, or movements. What will be standing before Jesus one day is not ministry entities and apostolic networks. What will be standing before Jesus one day are people who would have been equipped within those spaces. That's very important. Entities or these church organizations, denominations, movements, are ministries, they are service platforms. They are spiritual enterprises powerful enough to shape identities, to shape spiritual understanding, to shape worldviews, and to shape maturity levels in believers. The way Jesus puts it is that 
the student cannot grow above his master, right? And if you think of the master as the ministry that is serving, you know, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know a, a particular people, we, we are influenced. If we are in this church and have been in this church for a while, the way you think, the way you understand the word of God is influenced by the things we teach. Like it or not. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. Right. So it is empowering to see people and not entities. Like I had this experience in Solomon Islands. I saw people and not entities. But it is simplistic to engage people without understanding the organizations from which they come. Yeah? Because those organizations shape them. So essentially, you can say, well, I'm just in interacting with people. I really don't care where they come from and that, 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 that. Yeah, there's truth in that. But actually, the truth, the fact of the matter is that people come from certain organizations. And what are these organizations? These organizations are historical processes. They are faith positions. They are doctrines. They are philosophies of ministry or styles of ministry or ways of doing things. They represent spiritual emphasis and prophetic burdens. Hopefully, the doctrine and the philosophy of ministry is correct. It becomes a problem when the philosophy of ministry is incorrect. Was that equally impact upon the people? So people's abilities and capacity, well, people have capacity that comes from God, but those capacities have to be actualized. Yeah? So what God does is he creates below and the ordains below will be part of a church called Living Stones Agency in 2023 in Devon. And it gives below a destiny and a capacity. And it matches her with the place where that capacity will be unleashed. To her fullest potential. That's basically how these things work. But we know that in reality things don't always work like that, right? Sometimes, yes, we can be matched by God. And sometimes we go to wrong places ourselves. And sometimes we go to our rightfully ordained spaces, but only to find that those spaces are not functioning in their optimum level. That, and that affects us. It's almost like in the same way that you are shaped, in a sense, by your family, right? Your family shapes you, the family where you are born. And this same kind of idea, the same kind of, that's why choice of church is very important. And, you know, sometimes people, you know, become casual about these things. Uh, they make choices around church on the basis of wrong, you know, issues. Choice of church is very important. Because choice of church links to my destiny, links to all sorts of things. Amen? So, church, the body of Christ is people, but people come from organizations, and those organizations represent doctrines, and it's helpful to understand. So we can scan the body of Christ by looking at the entities that are, that are speaking or ministries that are speaking to believers at this point in time. That's also very, very, very helpful. That's also very, very helpful. We said that the body of Christ is dynamic, evolutionary, and progressive. It can never be fully defined based on its current state. And Jesus sees a complete picture of church because he sees her in her glorious state. So he has the benefit of seeing church in her mature state. So church is dynamic. That means 
she is forever changing. Evolutionary, it means she's moving from form to form. Progressive, it means we're building, you know, precept upon precept. And what causes that? What causes that dynamic evolutionary and progressive nature of the church? Number one, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah? The Holy Spirit who works in the church. The Holy Spirit is at work in the church. What is it doing? It's producing new revelations and it's transforming hearts. So the Holy Spirit, let's say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the critical element in the life of the body of Jesus Christ. As long as there's a Holy Spirit, there's a hope that things can work. As long as there's the Holy Spirit, there will always be hope that things can work. The Holy Spirit at work. That's the first thing that we see. But also what causes this dynamic, evolutionary, and progressive nature of church is that you know, believers get born, and believers do die and go, to, and go to be with the Lord. New believers get saved. And so you have this, this, this constantly changing environment. Look at what happens to church when Paul gets saved. Yeah? This man is on his way to Damascus and something happens to him, a miracle and an encounter with God. It transforms him and that changes the life of the church. A new convert came in. And that changed the life of the church. You don't know which Paul is going to be saved tomorrow. Yes? New people get called to ministry. Again, we can use the example of Paul here. New people get called to ministry. And new churches get planted. Think about Antioch. Uh, you know, when there is just Jerusalem. Jerusalem church has its own limitations. Cultural limitations. All sorts of limitations. And when Antioch is planted, something changes in the body of Christ at that point in time. And so these things cause this dynamic, evolutionary, and progressive nature of the church. The Holy Spirit, the believers who come and who go to be with the Lord. New people who get called to ministry. New churches that get planted. All of these dynamics are causing this constant change in the church. And so until Paul gets saved, church is battling with issues of Judaism and law and, you know, uh, Jews and Gentiles, and discrimination. When Paul gets saved and called into ministry, revelation breaks out. That helps the church to overcome those challenges. And that's what we mean by church of Jesus Christ. It's dynamic, evolutionary, and progressive. Everybody got that? Yeah. Absolutely important. Absolutely important. And so, if we're talking about this LSA, I want us to understand that we have to hold this tension of discernment and humility in engaging with the body of Christ. The tension of discernment and humility. What kind of tension? Of discernment and humility. It is a thing that Jesus establishes when he calls and sends out the 12 apostles. In Matthew chapter 10, he called these 12 disciples to him and gave them authority in verse 1, to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These 12, in verse 5, sent out, Jesus sent out with the following instructions, and the instructions are given. In verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And Jesus is saying, well, this mission does not depend on your innocent, well-meaning intentions. You've got to be wise. But that wisdom has to be mixed with humility. 
Just your good intentions, your innocent selves, just you mean well, that doesn't actually hold it. There has to be depth. There has to be, and that's what I think God meant by, let's prepare this church adequately for the mission of God. Well, sometimes when you receive something from God, you know, you're like, well, surely this is good. Surely everybody's going to receive this. But actually, things don't always work like that. What do we need? We need wisdom. Let's say wisdom. We need discernment. Let's say discernment. We need to discern. So I want a, a discerning church. I want a wise church. God wants a discerning church. He wants a wise church. But a church that is filled with humility also. Humility. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. It was basically Jesus saying, well, this mission here has elements of hostility. You've got to understand that. It's got elements of hostility that will require you to be wise and discerning, but you're going to have to mix that wisdom and discernment with the element of humility. In other words, let's be sure there's no arrogance here. There are no issues here. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes. And he's describing, when he says sheep among wolves, he's describing the spiritual environment. It's not about people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And blood. It's, about, it's about the spiritual environment. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So this wisdom mixed with humility, this discernment mixed with humility is going to be important. So there's this tension we hold in our hearts, LSA. The tension is a tension of discernment and humility. So what do we know of the church of Jesus Christ? That Jesus wants all believers to be equipped unto perfection in his nature. Is that true? Jesus wants all believers to be equipped unto perfection in his nature. That's the heart of Jesus for the church. Jesus wants all believers to be equipped towards perfection. The word perfection means to be completed, to be mature in the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, anything blocking the truth of Christ from arriving and transforming the hearts of the saints causes friction in the advance of the kingdom of God. It is problematic. Anything blocking the truth of God from arriving and transforming the hearts of the saints causes friction. It, it causes a, a, an unholy resistance towards the advance of the kingdom. It is like blood clots that disrupt the flow of life in the body and that cause dysfunctionalities and pathologies. Now when you have blood clots, you can have a stroke, right? You can have all sorts of you know, abnormalities and sicknesses. A blood clot is a very, very dangerous thing because it, it means that there is no blood flow. There is, there is no flow of life in, in, you know, you know, in, your, in your body. The same applies. We cannot have blockages in the body of Christ. So Jesus, the first thing we see and confront is that Jesus wants all believers to be equipped unto perfection in his nature. But the rea reality of it is that there are blockages in the body of Christ. That's why it's taken more than 2,000 years to build this thing. Amen? 
spiritual blockages in the body of Christ. And we, can, we make examples here in, the, in Matthew 23 when Jesus confronts the Pharisee. If you like, the Pharisees at a particular point in time are the, are the church organization. They are the ministry platform that is setting the tone and determining the growth of the people. And Jesus, we have a whole chapter of Jesus confronting the Pharisees. I remember there was a, a noble intention behind the Pharisees. They arise out of a culture of prophetic silence. In between Malachi and, and, and Matthew is about 400 years of prophetic silence. And these groups of the called Pharisees, they arise out of that context as a way of preservation of the truth of God. But four centuries later, when Jesus shows up, there are cultural issues that are built around them that are not helpful for the people. And Jesus goes for them in Matthew 23. He says in verse 13, What do you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter. Nor will you let those enter who are trying to. That's a terrible thing, right? What do you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in man's, man's faces. We can say in bracket, in the way or in the manner that you lead and build. You yourselves do not enter. Nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Basically, the situation is you have people who are trying to enter, but this, the practices of leadership and of ministry do not allow it to happen. And that's a terrible thing. And that's what Jesus confronts. It's a spiritual blockage at that point in time in the people of God, which means leadership is a, is a, is a critical thing. These spiritual blockages. So if we go back in Matthew 23, in verses 1 to 3, Jesus opens up, and we see Jesus in a very, this is a very different Jesus here. He opens up in verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. We can say this is a leadership and ministry crisis, right? <clears throat> so Jesus upholds their authority. He's honoring of them because of what they represent. They're sitting in Moses' seat, yet, and he told, he, he's telling people, listen to what they preach, but don't do what they do. There's a crisis at this point in time. There's a crisis. And, and so, and, and, and we want to see, because we want to have a view of the body LSA. And, but we want to have a, a correct and godly and, uh, and a father's heart attitude towards the body all at the same time. So that's what Jesus says. And he goes on, if you read in Matthew 23, to identify the ways in which the Pharisees are building. He says in verse 15 in Matthew 23, they, convert, they make one convert and make him twice the son of hell. So he's saying there's a problem in the church. Where we're getting people saved, but we're not helping them to grow in Christ. In verse 15. In verse 23, he says, they have neglected the more important matters of the law. 
So in other words, there's misapplication and, and, and wrong emphases that are taking place in the church. He says in verses 25 and 26, it talks about you only clean, you Pharisees only clean the outside of the cup and dish. That was you're focusing on material, external things. There's incorrect building approaches. These are the things that you and I have to discern. Remember the scripture, discern like a snake, yeah? But be innocent like a dove. Let not your discernment lead you to a lofty place. In other words, be discerning though of what's happening out there. When you go to places, you've got to see what must happen. You've got to see. The, you know, the Lord asked the prophet one day, what do you see, Jeremiah? What do we see when we go to churches? What do we see inside of LSA? The first point of sight is in here. You can't just see out there without seeing in here. You've got to see here, but you've got to see out there too. So, we don't want some sentimental attitudes. Yeah? Oh, now we're helping the people of God. Yeah, it's the people of God, but people of God need to be built, right? If things are wrong, things are wrong. I saw some wrong things there. But if there's evidence of grace, there is evidence of grace, right? Paul, I mean, Barnabas went to Antioch and saw the evidence of grace. But Jesus, to the seven churches in Revelation, evaluates them and tells them the wrong things they're doing. Remember the scripture we spoke about? We read, we read Matthew 7. You know, we have to remove the speck in our own eye to make judgment, right? Yeah. And so we don't want to be sentimental in the mission, but at the same time, we don't want to be hypocritical in the mission. To be hypocritical is to put a demand out there that you don't put in yourself. To be sentimental is to, is to be understanding of the, of the incorrect issues that are taking place in the church. To tolerate them. In the name of, oh, it's a people of God. Yes, it's a people of God. But the people of God need to be built. So Jesus is telling them. And he's confronting the Pharisees as builders of the day about the wrong things that they are doing. You convert people by fail to help them to grow. You know, we convert, you make one, con make them, you, 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 you make one, you win one convert and make them twice the son of hell. That's a terrible thing. So in other words, where there's heavy emphasis on evangelism without pastoral building, that's a problem, Jesus said. You have neglected the more important matters of the law. You only clean the outside of the cup and dish. That's the problem, Jesus is saying. And we don't want to be falling into this, but at the same time, we want to be making judgments out there about what's happening. Yes? And that means, let's say, we have to perfect our way of ministry. The only way we can build correctly out there is if we keep practicing a way of ministry. That thing of being on the edge, yeah? Of being sharp, of, of, dis, of, being, of being discerning. And so as we always say in this church, we highlight and emphasize people above gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah? You are more important than your gift. You know, I was explaining to somebody this principle and I was talking to them, you know, person, we're trying to get them engaged in what we do. I said, but I do not relate to you based on what you do. You are pretty gifted in what you do. I relate to you as a child of God. And if I don't see that, I'm sorry, I can't work with you. 
people are more important than gifts. Community, more important than individuals. Amen? Human growth, more important than, than organizational growth. We look at ecosystems and not isolated elements. Because that's how the Bible teaches us to do this. In 1 Timothy 3, when we identify an elder, it, it lists a, you know, a whole bunch of things, the ecosystems. You know, he must have a good marriage, raising his kids well, all those ecosystems. Good character. In other words, you don't just start with a guy on Sunday. That's what he's saying. Don't just run with one thing. Look at the ecosystem. Remember Moses, <clears throat> having received a mission from God, on his way to Pharaoh to tell him, let my people go, is almost killed by God because he has not circumcised his own son. Which means God looks at ecosystems, right? Mm -hmm. Remember Israel in the battle of Ai, Joshua chapter 7. They're coming out of the great success of Jericho. I mean, it's like after Jericho, man, it's like, man, we've got this. That, that's the thing about ministry. Eh? You can come out of one thing with a great conquest. After Jericho, man, it's like, man, if you've seen God pull down the walls of Jericho, and you've been walking around this thing, and it was the most fortified city. You are certain that there is nothing that's going to stand against us after this. And they go to a small city called Ai, and they're defeated properly. It was this Achan, the young man who had committed sin, was hiding some Babylonian garment. Uh -huh. God looks at ecosystems. It does not begin with the church service. It begins in the home. Yeah? And the thing we want to teach, you know, as the Kiaras and Malusis grow in the ministry and Dumos and, you know, and Gazis, is like God begins in the home. It begins in the bedroom. It begins in the kitchen. And so in this church, we look at ecosystems. We're not going to move if elements in the ecosystems are not in a good place. We will wait. Because sometimes we defeat time by waiting. Because if you move, if you move, things come to bite you. And, you know, it's been interesting things that have been happening in the body of Christ. Big ministries and big, like, you know, massive gifts of men falling and big scandals. And when you look at it, you see there's always been things that have been ignored here for a very long period of time. But they've been doing some amazing things. Some of these churches and ministries... Everybody has been longing to be like them. It's like, shucks, how does it happen? No, nothing just happens. Look at your neighbor and say, nothing just happens. There's always a process. There's always a, a formative process. It all begins in the little habits. And if ignored, and people around you don't confront you. And often happens in churches with people who are highly gifted and in worship teams. And people tip to around, oh, shucks, he's gifted, so we can't really touch him because we don't want to upset him because we're not going to have a church service next Sunday. That's what pastors deal with. It's pretty costly to confront things. Because you lose people along the way. 
And if you lose, keep the people along the way. You know, you're going to be limping a little bit in your church service. But you know what? That's how God builds. Better to be limping in the church service than to tiptoe around. I mean, it's like there's been scandals in the church in the last couple of years, actually. Big scandals. Big, you know, gifts. And you read any, every one of them, there has always been a formative process. So we look at ecosystems, yeah? I'm an ecosystem. I don't just come and stand. I'm married. I've got children. So that's what, if you look at me, that's what you need to be looking at, right? And there's an element, that's, that's how the Bible teaches us about these things. Yeah. Vumani is an ecosystem. I'm not saying that you say, ah, you know, I'm not, to, 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 to now say, hey, let's fall into false humility and, oh God, I'm an ecosystem, that part didn't work out. In, uh, in Kiara, I can't sing because, you know. <laughs> you know but we are ecosystems. And we, we serve a God who's gracious, right? And merciful. And if we are walking in the midst of a community and people, you know, will tell you, hey, this is not right. And if you've got the right attitude, you change and it's okay with God. Then come and have a great service. The problem begins when we refuse, right? So ecosystems, let's say ecosystems. So we want to learn to look at people as ecosystems and look at churches as ecosystems. Prophetic direction becomes important inside of this environment, inside of our space, LSA. We need always divine clearance from heaven when we do things. We don't move by earthly conditions. Remember, David asked me a question all the time, shall I go up? Huh? Shall I go up? And you can imagine all the generals, come on, David, we can do this. Come on, David, what, what, what are you singing the Lord for? <laughs> it's like, it's the most obvious thing, let's just go and, and do this. And David, you know, come, come, I need to go and talk to the Lord. Shall I go up? Are you going to give them to us? Keep, he keeps asking the question. In Acts chapter 15, it says, it's what seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Things need to feel right. Let me tell you, LSA, never move when things don't feel right. Look at your neighbor and say that to them. Never move when things don't feel right. You are safer waiting even if you don't quite understand, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. You want, you want the element of God, the testimony of the Spirit to, 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 to supersede your rationality. Sometimes things can... I am so grateful for the journey of the Lord inside of this church in the last eight years. There are things we could have done back in the, in the, in the, in the what, five years, six years ago. The revelation has always been there, but never move until there is a release. It's important. It's very, very important. In Acts chapter 16, it says, the Spirit of God forbade them from entering a region. The Spirit of God forbade them, prevented them. And so just as we hear God say, go, we also need to hear that God say, do not Go. Amen? Amen? And by the way, these are good principles in, in your own personal life too. 
Just as we here, I mean, you're applying for a job, business deal, and, and, and you, you've gone and you had a great meeting, business deal looks great, and you go and God does not give you peace. Don't sign it. The Spirit of God forbade them in Acts chapter 16. We adopt, and, and these are treasures that keep us safe, LSA, all the time. And the examples can go on and on. These are the what, the why, the how, and the when of ministry. Absolutely important. People are more important than gifts. And there's a terrible thing the churches do. They run people like a system of Egypt, of Pharaoh. Keep them building the bricks, yeah? And nobody cares what's going on in their lives. That's a terrible thing. It's ungodly. It's unbiblical. The first point of concern for the church should be, how are you doing? But when we are in the, building this machinery and building the pyramids, we need the production process to keep going. And who cares how Vanessa is feeling this particular Sunday? As long as we get our coffees and teas. <laughs> It's like, well, coffees and teas. <laughs> we want our coffees and teas. And by the way, these are good practices in your department or business organization, too. These are human resource practices, good human resource practices. Always start with people before you get into what people can do for you or with you. <clears throat> Inside of the eldership space, we talk about the need to lead people in intervals of rest. Sometimes you have to send people home. Yeah. Because that's also important. Because church knows how to be on the first lane, man. You read the scripture, then God rested, yeah? What did he do? He rested. Wow. Okay. And I love my times of rest, man. And I, and I emphasize the need for all of us to rest. And when we give you the time to rest, don't run to the shopping mall. No, no, it's an opportunity to go to the mall. Just sit down and rest. Some, you know, some of us are terrified by resting. You know that. Because we are terrified with being with ourselves. <laughs> it terrifies us. Because of all the thoughts that may come, you know, we're coming to terms with where we are. But these are good things. You know? So the principle of rest, the principle of Sabbath is important in the ministry because we don't want you and I to burn out. Burnout is real in ministry. Just as it's real in life. If you don't, you are not some, you know, you are a human being, you get tired, you know. <clears throat> you need a good, restful Saturday sometimes. <laughs> Zulu is laughing at me, it's true. <laughs> you know? Sometimes, you know, it's rest in this house right now, this Saturday. It's a Saturday of doing nothing. You know, nothing. 
of doing nothing because we don't want anybody bailing out as you grow old and you get angry at God and at church, by the way. Oh, they were working me. They were working me. <laughs> they were working me. But actually, it was you or what you said. <laughs> they were working me. I never, we never used to rest in the church. When you backsliding, I was like, oh yeah, that church just keep working me every Saturday, man. <laughs> We're connecting the cables. The key guy was. You're going to go to churches and see these things. People being worked. Building bricks for Pharaoh. You can't say, it's excellent in that church, man. It's like, you, 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 you're stupid. You're being foolish. You can't be used by God to be helpful in that environment. We're going to go to places where we're going to have to tell people we need to learn how to rest in this place. You can't come, hey, I'm so charged up. We need to be working every Saturday. I saw the church down there. Like, no, no, no. You are not fit for the mission. Rhythms of rest are important. Decompress. Your body needs it. And you start feeling all stiffness. And <laughs> it's a body basically complaining. You, you've been on the fast lane for too long now. All feelings, you know, yeah. all the knots in your back here. You touch, you feel the lumps. <laughs> like it's hectic. You've been overworked. You've been overworked properly. Everybody got that principle? The body of Jesus Christ, we don't want no burnout. We don't want no burnout in this church. You know, the body of Jesus Christ is made up of faith communities that have diversities of burdens, ministries, and expressions. The pattern is the 12 tribes of Israel. <clears throat> the 12 tribes make one nation, right? And 12 tribes have different prophetic identities, but they all made one nation. The seven churches in the book of Revelation all have different processes, but they make up one church. And as we read, every church is different from every church. That's what we see. And it's important for us to understand the body of Jesus Christ is made up of faith communities uh, that have diversities of burdens, ministries, and expressions. These diversities of ministries must not be confused with limiting, culture-bound, and at times unbiblical and even ungodly ways of ministry. So diversities of ministry. We need to see what is a diversity of ministry that is within the confines of the kingdom and what is actually of the limits, yeah? Yeah? How do we know it? Because we read the same Bible. These are not ideas that come from a man. The Bible tells us how we need to do the work of the Lord. The diversities of ministries must not be confused with limiting, culture-bound, and at times unbiblical or even ungodly ways of ministry. Absolutely important. So there are things we'll not do in this church because they're actually not helpful. Yeah. Well, we love the, the culture of saving, but nobody's going to carry my Bible. You know? It's, 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 it's important. 
it, it, it's, it, there was a way Jesus was. They had to identify him when they came for him. It means he actually looked normal. Judas had to hug him and kiss him to show that this is the guy. It means he wasn't like, I couldn't see, oh, there's the pastor. Everything we do is intentional. Intentional. Diversities of ministry must not be confused with limiting culture bound. Not build some Zulu church. Yeah? Or Indian church. Culture bound. And at times unbiblical or even ungodly ways of ministry. What is diversity of ministry? Is that which comes from the Lord. But that must not be confused with that which is limiting. There are things that limit people from growing. Yeah. So my intention is, as a pastor, is that, you know, there has to be a sense of identification with leadership. I can't become like this guy. That's how people must feel. Not like, oh, shucks, man, he's so powerful. I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> That's not very helpful. That's not very helpful. See, if Jesus were to walk in here, he would look like ordinary. People must see themselves in leaders. They must feel like they can achieve the standard. Imitate the faith of your, of your leaders. The Bible says. The diversities of ministry must not be confused with. So in other words, we don't do certain things possible. Well, it's just a way we have chosen to another people can do other things. I, I need us to understand that. We do things because, well, the Bible says things have to be done a certain way. In fact, that major 23 deals with all bunch of these kinds of things. <clears throat> the body of Christ is bound together by the truth of the person of Christ. And the truth about Christ is coming progressively in phases and in portions to the body of Jesus. So the diversities of ministry must therefore equally, um, are therefore equally no excuse for rejection of truth coming from God to the church. And which is really meant for believers. So it's, 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 we, we are bound by our common faith in the person of Jesus expressed in what the Bible calls present truth. And that's what I want to actually talk to us about as well. So church history, the body of Christ, and the present truth. Remember the timeline? Church history, the body of Christ, and present truth. And these are, and really this is flowing out of my bed, and I feel from the Lord to really make sure that we're adequately prepared for the mission of the Lord Jesus that is falling upon this church. So we have the timeline and the timeline reflects all of the great things that God has done in the past. And this, by the way, is very, very selective. Um, um, it doesn't show you everything. But, yeah, you have Protestants, you have Holiness, you have Pentecostal, you have Charismatic. And, and we had some great teaching in the last couple of Sundays about, about the timeline, right? Um, and Jesus very committed in, I will build my church. I will build my church. What Jesus says. Okay. But the question we have to ask is, what does the timeline show us? Because when we look at the graph, it needs to show, it needs to speak to you. It needs to speak to you. What does it show us? The timeline of the church show, shows us two things, basically, LSA. Number one, it shows us historical landmarks that must be celebrated by us. Amen? And essentially, those historical landmarks or 
historical moves of God are not the entities but past impartations of Christ to the church. So first and foremost, that's what we see. We see the historical landmarks. Like, wow, God in the 1500s was doing, break, broke out through the Protestant movement. In the 1900s, he broke out through the Pentecostal movement. We see these things. So the first thing we see in the timeline is that the timeline shows us the historical landmarks. The second thing, though, LSA, that we see in the timeline is that the timeline shows us the present truth of God from which all believers must be drinking in order to, conti to continue to prevail against darkness. The present truth of God. So there's what the Bible calls present truth. They say present truth. They say that again, present truth. The present truth of God from which all believers, how many believers? All believers must be drinking in order to continue to prevail against darkness. Because when God releases something upon the church, he is equipping her to prevail against darkness. That word that is coming from God equips the church to prevail against darkness. So the present truth of God from which all believers must be drinking in order to continue to prevail against darkness. In other words, you know, it's like, just like your body needs to eat. You need to eat, right? To get nutrition and strength and energy. That's the same kind of idea. Same kind of idea. So the timeline is showing us two things. First, it shows us the historical, historical landmarks. But secondly, it shows us the present truth of God from which all believers must be drinking in order to continue to prevail against darkness. Everyone still tracking this? So the historical timeline of church does not validate fossilization. That's an interesting word. That's a big word. You know, maybe I use it because I've, I've got shades from fossil, man. Like, I, I love fossil. But, <laughs> below that. <laughs> historical, <laughs> historical timeline of church does not validate fossilization. What is fossilization? It's to preserve the old at the expense of the new. To become fixed and incapable of change, of growth and development. So God does not, we are not, we don't validate that, and God does not validate that. Historical timeline of church does not validate fossilization of old, like we talk in biology about fossils, right? For those of us who did uh, biology. <clears throat> does not validate fossilization of old impartations of God or lack of movement and spiritual transformation in the church or in churches. These are some of the things we've got to see. Is there a culture of fossilization in this church or is there a sense that we're growing, yeah? Or moving forward in the things of God? And you have to discern these things. See the evidence of the grace of God. If we don't see the, the, the culture of evolution, it means that there is the opposite reality of fossilization. And that's a problem. <clears throat> so here's a scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Reading from the New King James Version. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the, in the present truth. Let's say it again, present truth. 
Let me read the scripture again. For this reason, Peter is saying, this apostle is about to die. He's telling the believers, I'm about to die. I need to establish certain things inside of your own lives. And he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. 